welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony J. Algman. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. We've partnered with Dataversity to provide listeners with 20% off your first training center purchase with promo code AlgmanDL. Go to dataleadershiptraining.com to learn more. Today, on episode 67, we welcome Rob Dickinson. Rob's comfort zone is right at the intersection between people and technology. His technical and leadership skills were honed at Intel, Dell, and Quest Software, but his true passion is listening and learning from customers. After 15 years of experience in the APM market, Rob started Resurface with the goal of creating first-party observability solutions where customers truly own their data and where security and privacy controls are seamlessly integrated. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Anthony. So what we normally do with first-time guests is we'll have you uh, take a moment to tell the audience a bit more about your career before Resurface and how those experiences led you to doing what you do now. But before we do that, I want to know, what does APM mean? Because that is something that I didn't know the term for, and that is something that I think everybody on their, might have on their mind right now. So let's cover that first, and then we'll get into the, the intro. Gosh, so so many acronyms, right? Like like APM and API and and what are all these what are all these things, right? And then you go to Wikipedia and you see what the letters stand for, and it tells you absolutely nothing more than you, than you knew already. So, That's right. um, so APM is Application Performance Management, oh. and so that's a discipline of measuring performance and improving performance over time of your systems. And that's really what led us to, to, to doing what we're doing now with, with Resurface. Um, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the early problems that we saw with the early web um, were around the availability of those systems or the performance of those systems, you know, kind of the, the general robustness. And, but what we've started to see more and more in recent years are cases where those systems are up and they're responding quickly but they're doing absolutely the wrong thing. Hmm. They're, they're processing business transactions where the business is losing money. They're breaking, they're being exploited, they're being attacked, they're being probed. Um, and so there's, there's a lot more risk to, to running a, a web property than there used to be. Um, and, and the other big shift is kind of the move from web first systems to API first systems. And what that really means, again, you you can look up what does API mean. <laughs> you know, it's it's application perform or application programming interface. But but what we really mean is that we're we're moving from a web that was originally designed for people that were using web browsers to browse content and share pictures and stuff like that. We're moving from that entertainment vehicle designed for humans to to the backbone of of a digital society. Where, where the internet is, is the, how we work, it's how we shop, um, how we interact with each other. So much more than just a, an, uh, an entertainment vehicle. And then our software is actually doing a lot of the heavy lifting. So it's not humans sitting at web browsers. It's, it's all kinds of software and, and software systems interacting w with each other over the internet. So it's amazing time to be in the business. <laughs> yeah, well, it, and this is going to be a fun conversation because I think that... 
uh, the audience out there is typically going to have a little bit more knowledge than what a, the general population would around, you know, some of our our favorite acronyms, APIs, I will mention, I actually knew that one. Um, and it's actually a thing that I uh, talk about quite frequently. So I'm really interested in, in some of the, the topics that we'll, we'll get into today. But before we do that, let's now go back, let's rewind and understand what motivated you in your career to get to this place? Like, what is it that makes you tick and, and what are you passionate about most? Yeah, I mean, how, how I got into the, the kind of system monitoring, web monitoring, and now API monitoring and API security is, is really, I've, I've always been in this industry. I mean, I, my background, I got started building websites during, you know, the original gold rush <laughs> right back yeah. in the, in the late nineties. Um, and it, it's, it's hard to, to build these systems. It's, it's hard to maintain these systems. It's hard to, to deliver. Um, you know, I've had the experiences of being up late at night trying to figure out why things aren't working. Um, you know, and, and all the, you know, all the positives and negatives associated with that. So, you know, I feel those problems very personally. I mean, I'm a coder by trade. I'm a, I'm an engineer by, by training. And, um, and so we, we just really wanted to, to help with, with those, with those issues. You know, these, these things are only getting more complicated over time. Our systems are only getting more complex and more interdependent, more, more linked on each other. And just so even understanding what's the right behavior of this, of this system. And then I, and I know we've all had those cases where things just don't work right. Mm -hmm. um, you have, you have things that are failing, you have things that aren't going through. Um, a lot of times there, there may not be anyone to call. And so one of the things that we like to talk about is, you know, in the physical world, for example, you know, th there's a there's a receipt to go with every transaction. There's usually records. There's usually, you know, especially if in a in a business context, right? And and really, the the web and and the API economy are just kind of starting to catch up to to those ideas. Um, you know, we just don't assume <laughs> that that uh, that when something breaks on on the internet, that there's actually someone there to hear it. Mm -hmm. um, quite quite frequently, there there isn't. Um, and I think it's. You know, some folks expect that there's actually more monitoring that there actually that there actually is uh, sometimes, but a, a lot of the folks that we talk to, they're just they're honestly doing their best to to keep these systems running, but it, it's very much a moving target. Well, and I and the complexity is not getting less; it is, it no. is only <laughs> increasing. And things that you think like it's easy to take for granted when things work, um, and and. Sometimes I, I just think so there was a podcast. We won't we won't name which one, but there was a podcast that had switched where its address was going and everything on initial views looked like it had transferred perfectly well. Um three weeks go by. And the listeners of that podcast seem to have dropped off precipitously, even though the content I don't think, or I mean, the host didn't think it had gotten much worse, but the, uh, the fact was, is that something had happened. Well, what it turned out to be is that the, um, podcast aggregators did manage the change correctly for the first like 72 hours. And then once all of the, the caching got resolved on the back end and everything got redirected, everything broke. And it was not apparent until the actual, downloads were revealed to not be working correctly and some person's like yeah why aren't you uh releasing any new episodes that's when 
that that problem got fixed. But until it became a awareness, there was nothing that would have indicated that there was a problem. And that's just, you know, somebody with a podcast, like there's so much complexity happening and the dependencies are not always well understood. And so the only, and, and I'm going to just put my own words here that the, the way to solve for this are what I call uh, highly aligned, loosely coupled architectures of which APIs play a very significant role because you have this notion. And for the folks out there that are not super familiar with APIs, you have this kind of publish and subscribe type of model where an API exists to be able to provide information on request to whatever entity is is calling for it. And it gets uh, verified and the security and all that stuff gets handled. But not unlike this podcast, if you're downloading this through, say, your iTunes podcast music, whatever it is, or Google Play or whatever the different applications are, it probably just works for you. Well, what happens is I'm uploading the show to one place and a whole bunch of places out there know about that location, send catalog type information to a bunch of recipients that say, hey, I, I want to listen to this podcast. Then everything on the back end is happening through APIs to then deliver that file, that audio file to you in your podcast application of choice, but it is hosted in one place. And theoretically, if I move that, I should be able to redirect all of those pointers and nothing should have any problems at all. Doesn't always work like that in reality, but that is a absolute low 100 level introductory course of what an API is from Anthony's perspective. Although Rob, you're probably like, oh, that was the worst description I have literally ever heard. So. <laughs> no, no, that's, that, that's, that's right on. I mean, because, because really APIs are all about software agents. Mm -hmm. Ultimately they're, they're about kinds of software that we're, we're enabling to do work on our behalf and it's much more sophisticated work than just rendering a web page or playing a video. Um, you know, those those interactions are getting a lot more complex, a lot more nuanced, um, starting to get a lot closer to real, actual human interactions, right? And that and that level of nuance and complexity. Um, the other thing you touched on there is the the system complexity, the the kind of data conditions, all those things that feed into those systems. It's a huge number of variables to, to, to parse, right? And as computer scientists, I mean, we've known for a long time that most of the software we rely on is not provably correct. Right? The, the math is way too hard. The number of, of possible combinations is, is way too vast to ever prove um, that the things are, are actually working properly. And then we're changing the stuff and improving the stuff and evolving it at a mile a minute. So... Mm -hmm. Um, so nothing, nothing stays still for, for very long. There's tremendous benefit and creativity that comes with that constant disruption um, that, that we're going through here. So I think, I think we're on the right side of history with, with our enthusiasm towards that. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's hard to keep up with for sure. Yeah. And, and I think about, you know, the, the challenge of having something that is loosely coupled because there are things like, how do you test for that? How do you make sure that you're running through the scenarios that are likely to occur out in the wild? And, 
having the right results. And 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 it, there's complexity that becomes obfuscated because the interface is actually extremely easy to work with. And API is wonderful because it's basically, you know, we we all think about like putting square pegs in round holes. If you ever remember like the 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 children's workshop where they're got their hammers and their their screwdrivers and stuff and there was a, a shape and that shape would literally only fit into one of the holes and they engineered it so precisely so you couldn't just cram that square peg into the round <laughs> hole and that's what apis are now is that it makes it so easy to connect into this total black box that's out there but you can get exactly the information that you ask for now you hope that that black box knew what it was doing because whatever is happening on the other side of that connection point, you're not going to have the same level of depth of insight into as if you had just kind of created it all yourself, or if you had done some of the earlier integration models where you're actually merging in code libraries and you're doing all the stuff where you can see behind the covers. But the benefit is in that simplicity of that connection point where you can say, okay, I'm going to trust the, that this has what it, it needs to have. Um, but if it doesn't, then big problems can occur. And I think we've seen, and and I don't know that it's a fair thing to go and call it like an API-oriented um, problem, a problem like uh, the Log4j issue, where we're trusting an entity, is my point, because I, I don't want to get bogged down to the technical details, but we're trusting an entity uh, to a point to do something for us that should be reliable and should be safe. And when that turns out not to be, I would imagine... 80 to 90% of the listeners out there have heard of the log4j problem. I imagine half of them have no idea what that actually was or means, and that's okay. But the awareness that we had something so pervasive that so many of us had to contend with, I think is, is evidence that when this stuff goes sideways, it goes sideways. It, it can go sideways in a, in, a, in a big way, in a bad way. Um, given all that, because I'm bouncing all over the place. I want to learn more about Resurface and and what role you guys play in all of this ecosystem. Because it, it it's so big, you can't be doing everything for everybody. What is it that that you guys focus on? Right. So so what the issues that you just alluded to there around complexity, quality, and also loss of control. It, it's true from the API provider side as well as an API provider. I'm giving up that concept of a genuine client. I'm giving up that level of control over the client. So what you really need in that context then is more telemetry and more understanding about how your APIs are actually being used. And that's where a tool like Resurface will, will come in. So one analogy that we use is Resurface is kind of like a weblog on steroids. Like if you know what a weblog is, like your Apache weblog, it would give you a list of here's all the requests that were made. Um, we're, we're giving you a system of record for this is what uh, all the inputs to your APIs were and this is all the outputs. So these are the requests, these are the responses. We can then um, take that raw data and roll that up to more session level views or more application level views but but at the end of the day, that's that's really what what we're all about is you can think of us kind of like as a security camera or a surveillance camera for your APIs. Um, and and the intent of that is to establish a record of the transaction so that if you're conducting transactions through your APIs, 
is you can actually go back and see, well, did those, did those complete the way that we expected? Where were the things that broke? And what's increasingly important is how are those APIs being misused? How are they being attacked? And how are they actually being violated? Um, and, and managing the, the damage around that. I see. So do you have a kind of target market? Is this something that you are doing for small and mid-sized businesses or any size organization? Or who, who is it that will buy what Resurface has to offer? So this is so this is such a such a fun thing to talk about because this is actually my second company in the space and our first company we were really an enterprise play hmm. you know we were working with some some very very large accounts um, that had very very large budgets and you know and you know for example when you're talking to Bank of America I mean you know like those those transactions are being recorded and being audited. Um, but they have they have bazillions of dollars to spend doing that. And there's you know, that's not true of everyone. And there's also uh, not enough of that big data talent to go around. Um, and there really aren't enough turnkey solutions, especially solutions that are really built with with an API economy in mind. And so what we're really our goal is really to democratize this this technology so that every API provider, whether they're big or small, um, has has the opportunity to get their hands around what's what's actually going on. That makes sense. Is is it exclusive to like public facing APIs, or or I assume it would work for business to business or business to consumer types of of APIs or web website driven types of things, or is it more nuanced than that? I don't know if I'm I'm understanding enough. You know, it's, <clears throat> I mean, one, one obvious application is if you're processing financial transactions, if you're dealing with healthcare mm -hmm. records, you're dealing with sensitive, sensitive user data, you know, you're, you're actually running business transactions over the web. Mm -hmm. I mean, gosh, you better have, you better have a receipt of what's actually going on. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and we're certainly seeing, uh, you know, a lot more regulations that are specifically requiring that. Right. Um, and specifically requiring access to certain kind of data be through APIs. Look at some of the recent uh, work that the Biden administration's done in this area. I think that's right on. I think it's right on to say just having human readable information on a website, you know, squirreled away in a PDF somewhere um, really isn't good enough. Um, it, it needs to be programmatically uh, accessible. So... You know, so I, I hear I hear the question there, and I'm not trying to dodge. Like, what's what's the specific niche that that we're going after? Um, that's kind of the fun of what we're doing right now. Is right now everybody wants to be an API provider. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a it's a very uh, it's a very wa a large section of of the market to be looking at. No, I think that I think that's a totally fair response. It did get me thinking about those. Uh, and I think it's only been like the last year or two where now whenever you go to a website, it talks about cookies and like we, we have your data or whatever and you have to hit accept. I, I think somebody has read one of those at some point, but I, I have <laughs> it, it has something to do with data privacy and you're granting access and, and you know, to, to being able to use that that information. Um, but it just feels like to your point around like some you know, language buried somewhere about, you know, things that, you know, a, an organization is doing with data or with the technology. And it feels to me like the 
even though I know we're in a very litigious society and we have to have all of our, our legalese and, and um, you know, contract language and, and all of that in place, you know, I think more, you know, more businesses would like to be just good citizens of that data uh, stewardship and making sure that, you know, at the end of the day, we'll, we'll dot our I's and cross our T's. We have to as businesses. We're, we're used to that, whether it's taxes or, you know, regulation, licenses, whatever. But beyond just having those words on the page somewhere that nobody is ever going to read, it's about doing the right thing by our customers and our clients like that that to me is is what drives more entrepreneurs and more businesses is to say you know we want to make sure that we're actually protecting this data and doing the right things because our customers have chosen to work with us have chosen to give us business and the least we can do is not subject them to you know data privacy concerns on top of everything and i think with you know, the, the electronic medical records, health information, financial information, it's all, it's all very serious stuff. And there's, it seems like no end to all of that. Uh, so I think that having that kind of um, protection with an, an API that is a um, more robust one that you might be able to come up with otherwise, uh, that seems to add a, a lot of value for for organizations out there, big and small. I mean, it's not every organization does not need to go and try to figure out all of these things on their own. And they're not going to have the talent. The talent doesn't exist for every company out there to hire someone who understands all of this stuff. It's 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 really, really complicated things. Absolutely. And I think one of the one of the most important things to understand as a as a data leader today are the implications between first-party data and third-party data. That's where the, the legislation is, is really starting to bare its teeth, right? And, and, and actually, that's one of the things that I, I like about the legislation that we have is that there are, there are very clear standards of care now on kind of both sides of that. And it's not just PCI, right? It's not just how we're going to handle data in-house, but where is that data going going out of house? And when when you think about that, like what like what would the what would the analogy to that be in the physical world? It's it's ridiculous, right? I mean, if I go down the street to buy a pack of gum at the at the corner store, um, and you know the guy behind the counter isn't going to say, "Hey, would you like a, a copy of this transaction to go to Google?" I would say, hell no. Why would I like, how did Google get into the conversation all of a sudden? I'm doing business with you. I'm standing across the, the counter from you. So exactly to your point, um, a, a lot of, a lot of the, the, the slippery slope there, I, I think comes into sharing data with third parties where the sharing of that data does not directly benefit the consumer. It's a way of remonetizing their data. And Hey, I understand if I'm using a free service, I understand my, my data may be monetized because I'm not paying for it. But mm -hmm. if I'm conducting real business, that, that should be with, with the people that I'm actually doing business with. And that, that's one thing that I really love about what we're doing with Resurface is we're not another third party to add to that. We're not trying to just replace Google in the surveillance economy. We're trying to rewire the surveillance economy to say that, you, yes, you need that observability. You need that record keeping. But as a first party, you should own that record keeping. And that data should be yours. Like if there's any data that you really should keep and, and own 100%, it's how you're interacting with your actual customers. Um, that's, that's gold. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that because I think about organizations out there and we talk, you know, this is data leadership lessons. We go in a lot of different directions on this show. <laughs> and, you know, there's some topics that people love to learn about, things like artificial intelligence. And, and I know some people are still using the term big data and all of these things. But when I think about what is the most important information to any business out there, it's going to be who are your customers and what are your transactions? What are the yep. actual fundamental building blocks of your business? hundred times over, that's more important than what kind of crazy algorithm you can run on generalized data that gives you some sort of, you know, machine learning, deep learning, um, you know, insight. That stuff is the stuff you do after you've mastered transactional reporting, after you make sure that your data is stored correctly, that it is protected and that you are not inadvertently giving away your customer information to a bunch of third party organizations. And so I think that, um, you know, addressing that actively is incumbent upon any business leader to make sure, hey, do we really know not just where our data is for our purposes, but how it's protected and managed through the chain of custody from the time it gets created because a customer chose to give us some business to when we fulfilled their order and completed that relationship and hopefully built towards future uh, business dealings with them? How do we know that that's been you know, protected end to end? Because uh, I think that a lot of folks out there never really think about it in those terms. They think about the different stages of the business uh, execution, but they don't necessarily think about how is that from a data perspective. We all talk about data assets, but this can be the liability side of that saying, okay, what responsibilities do we have from this data that's been created by the work that we've done with customers who trust us? Yeah, absolutely, and and so much of that respond, you know, it, it falls to the the ethical leadership of of those data leaders, right? Because the 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 the, the nasty part about that is that the the cheap way is to give all your data away, right? <laughs> those data providers, they're more than happy to take that data and remonetize it, and they'll make it easy for you to do that, and um and to a certain extent. That is that has become the standard of care that we've come to expect, right? We expect that Google Analytics is running everywhere, um, and it's not that that's going away over time, or it's, or it's not that that's going away immediately. But but certainly over time, there, there's going to be a bit of a reset there um, around, you know, what what is the data about me that that really should be shared with all these third parties without my consent, without my knowledge, and and is that really something that we want to double down on? I mean. I think we can do a little better yeah. <laughs> personally. Yeah. Um, it's good for the power structure. It's good for Google. It's good for Amazon. Um, is it good for their consumers? Eh, I, I don't know. I, I tend to think it's not, not the greatest. You, you kind of feel like any business that's predicated upon the customer, not really understanding what's going on. There's some shady things happening there, like that. It's not always where the customer would say, uh, "Yes, I'm I'm 100 on board with that." There's a reason you're obfuscating some of that information. Is that if the customer fully understood it, they probably wouldn't go for it. So, yeah. The the other the other thing that's paramount to think about as a data leader in this context is those data sets have lifetimes of their own, and those lifetimes oftentimes will even exceed the life of your business, 
right? So it's not just where does that data live, who has it, but who is going to own it in the future? Who's going who's gonna to have access to that in the future? Where is that going to roll up to? Um, these things are not static. These data sets live a lot longer than they were really intended to in, in a lot of cases. Um, and, and in the context of storage getting a lot cheaper, um, you know, cloud storage be, being you know, something that, that's available as a commodity, those kinds of issues are only going to get worse as, as we go forward. Yeah, it, it's really clear that data is very long lived. I, I think that's a, a fair statement. Um, let's let's shift gears a little bit into understanding what do, like what do we do? Because I think like we are, this is a pattern that we have followed before in other episodes of this show where we get into some of the details and it seems pretty bad. Like there's a lot of doom and gloom out there. <laughs> the sky is falling. I often, have, I, I often reflect back on, on like one of my favorite quotes. And that is, you know, a, a, a an expert is somebody who knows enough to be scared. <laughs> and I find that that often follows in, in our episodes, but I want to think about like, so what's actionable for people out there? Like, how do you, take the because i think most of our organization we have something going on with apis already but we probably will if we don't how do you assess how much risk we're at because i feel like there's probably some business leaders out there that are like "Ooh, we might be doing a lot of this stuff how do you assess that security of of your apis or how do you understand or manage the the data privacy concerns that are incumbent with with these apis like where do you even start I, I think there is an easy way to start. It's it's maybe not the sexiest strategy ever, but but I think in in a lot of aspects in business, the the way that you move the needle is you establish KPIs, you establish things that are that are measurable. Um, of course, we can argue those definitions and their fairness and all that kind of stuff. But but when you when you put things on a more empirical frame like that. And, and you're starting to develop what are those metrics, what are those signals, what are those things that you really can uh, measure and, and rely upon? And then are those signals going in the right direction over time? I mean, whether you're fighting quality problems or security issues or, or whatever, um, or you're just trying to pivot in a new direction, um, I think a lot of times that's that's the process that we want to follow. And, and I think when you you know, when you, when you get people with, with beers in their hands talking at conferences about these kinds of things, the worst case scenario is you don't, you honestly don't know what's going on. Um, your, you, your, your visibility is, is limited. So you're falling back to guessing, you're overlaying your worst fears, what happened in previous companies, what you think might happen, all these things that are completely different to process emotionally um, and, and tactically and strategically when you don't have the hard data in front of you. Um, I've heard stories about political campaigns, for example. You know, they, they come in and, and uh, this is a story from the Obama campaign originally, his, his first, first time through. Um, they were having all kinds of problems on their website and they, they brought in some really smart folks from Google um, to, to look at this. And their first recommendation was, dude, you're, there's no there's no response time monitoring. How do we know if the site is slow or not? Like if we're not if we're not keeping that metric, how do we know if it's good enough? And how do we know if we're moving the needle when it comes to actually making that better? So, 
you know, I think I think all these things boil down to, um, you know, putting things on that more empirical frame, having the the data about the data sometimes <laughs> that you need, um, but but to but to really but to really change things, you're, you're going to have to up level that to, to something that the rest of your organization can understand, and that's something that's really important also as a data leader is to be translating what you know about the technical domains into things that that are more understandable and actionable for the business. And I think the the more that you can kind of meet meet your business folks uh, midway in doing that, and and have that common language around your your key performance indicators and how you're tracking them, um, that's going to be I think a very simple recipe to get your head around. That uh, if you if you practice that, um, you know obviously there's more sophisticated uh, things that you can do than than just that. But but if you're not doing that. Um, you, you really are missing a large part of the of the the problem that you should be solving for. Yeah, that that advice works in a lot of different contexts. You know, it's it's if you don't know where you are, start looking around, start drawing that map around you before you try to figure out which direction to head. Gather situational awareness, gather information, and realize where you're flying blind. If you're flying blind, turning isn't going to help. I mean, at least where you're going right now, you haven't hit the ground yet or you haven't run into the mountain yet. At least hold on. Give it another minute while you try to figure out how do we get some readings into what we're doing here so that we can have some measures so that we can react to them so we can see if we're on the path towards improvement or not. And so baselining before you do anything different baseline so you can see whether or not the impacts of what you've done are, are good or bad. Um, I'm scared now. So, cause we've, we've talked a little bit about like some basic things that you can do and, and I'm scared about this whole world of device and APIs and in this internet of things, um, universe. A, a few weeks ago, we had uh, a person on who was talking about the, uh, smart light bulbs that he has in his house and they can change colors and they can go on or off based on an app on the phone. And I know in the back of my mind, another conversation <laughs> I had years ago with a, an ethical hacker security friend of, of mine who, who talked about, he's like, you know, people aren't often paying for the level of baseline security that you would normally want to have because there's not enough perceived value in it right now. And that's where like in the infancy of internet of things, you're, you're pricing things to the lowest cost possible. Why would you put in a bunch of controls that people don't understand encryption standards or, or what have you to, to avoid attacks. So now I'm curious because we've gotten a few years later and, and my buddy got me thinking about these light bulbs. Are we with the advent of internet of things going to have an absolute explosion of vulnerabilities and can our APIs help protect us from that? Or are we just going to be subject to the lack of likely security and safety embedded in these, in these internet of things devices? Yeah. What, what scares me when I when I think about this stuff late at night when I'm trying to sleep is a lot of the folks that I talk to, there's there's not maybe the general sense that we're winning 
the the cybersecurity wars online right now. I mean, we're we're operating in an environment now where the 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 instant that an endpoint is accessible from a public internet, it is going to be probed, you know, continuously for the the whole time it's it's available. Um, a lot of the folks that we talk to. Bot traffic and malicious traffic is now actually a majority of their traffic. It's not, mm. it's not the odd case, right? So it like it, it's it, and there's a huge social component to that. I mean, when I first started building websites, it was almost like a badge of honor if you got hacked. It was like, <laughs> oh, well, somebody must really be into what we're doing and paying attention. Like, look how cool we are that people want to get in and doing that. Mm. I mean, now it's just it's 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 constant. Um, you know what would your what would your bank look like if half the people that sh- that walked in through the front door of the bank were there to rob the place? Yeah. I mean, you'd have to operate your bank very differently. Um, at the end of the day, though, I'm I'm an optimist when it comes to to technology. I think this technology does create problems, but I think it solves more problems and delivers more benefit. I think the the, the balance does end up being um, kind of on on the right side um, there in the end. But we, we have a lot of work to do. These, the, the, the cybersecurity uh, attackers are increasingly sophisticated, increasingly well-funded. They're increasingly uh, creative and, and organized, um, right? They run their business as a business. They take what they're doing extremely seriously, just like we do. Um, so it's, it's new normal. And <laughs> IoT, it just you know, it just gives you more places to run code and, and ed- anything that runs code is, is an opportunity to exploit. I mean, what happens when, you know, I'm, I'm fleeing a bank after the bank robbery and I can remotely disable the engines and the police cars that are chasing me. Hmm. I mean, that sounds like something that's like, should be in the next Steven Soderbergh movie, but that, that kind of, that kind of thing is not very far away um, from, from where we are right now. Yeah, I, I think of a, a few years ago. This is, this is a, definitely a few years ago now. I had in a, in a talk I gave where a uh, casino actually got hacked through a smart fish tank feeding system. <laughs> and you're like, you would think that the casinos would be better protectors of what's going on. And, and, and it was it was an interesting case. But I also think about, to your point, around the fact that we're under constant attack now, that there's something to be said for the fact that you're building muscle memory, that you have to have these protections and you have to manage to these what could be you know, previously a, a smart fish tank feeding system sounds ridiculous. Well, if that is the vulnerability, we've got to protect for a lot of stuff and we've got to have layers of that protection all throughout to try to catch any of the kinds of things that are under constant attack. So because we're under constant attack, it actually gives me some measure of confidence that we're building in the right kinds of protections. Otherwise our businesses are going to go badly in every direction if we can't protect for some of these things. So maybe the device never gets built the hardware to protect it because of cost considerations or what have you, but their surrounding software architecture is becomes smart enough to manage um, that and keep those kinds of intrusions from from taking hold and causing bigger problems. So maybe there is hope, and I and it's not my problem personally to solve. I think you're in the fight on this one, um, <laughs> certainly more than than I am personally. But it's I think that evolution of I mean that that 
story of the the cat and mouse, right? Like it's so many different areas in technology. We're trying to do good and innovative things. And then we say, oh, this was cool. There's a whole bunch of ways to compromise businesses using this cool and interesting thing. Now we've got to harden it and we've got to make it more enterprise grade and, and make it so that um, these businesses can rely upon it versus being problematic. But clearly, you know, there's days where it feels like we're not winning that battle. You, you think about all the malicious software out there. You think about the ransomware attacks. You think about the things that have broken through that system. And, and certainly um, it is a fight that that continues on. But I think that with what you're doing, uh, with the, what you're offering with Resurface is something that a lot of organizations could never hope to build on their own and do so successfully, given all these considerations. It, it certainly is a, a lot of ground to cover. It, it, it pulls a lot of things together to, to be able to do this. But but I, I'm really excited about that mission because I truly do believe that when when technologists have better ways to understand how things are breaking, how things are being used, how things are being exploited, that's what gives us the opportunity to inoculate those systems and really build stronger and more resilient systems all the time. Um, one of my favorite quotes about security uh, that, that I, I stole from one of my buddies is, is so many security issues are really failures of imagination, just like the fish tank thing, mm -hmm. right? You just didn't imagine the fish tank being used that way. Um, but now you know, and now you can guard against it. Um, and so it's just like with establishing those, 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 those KPIs, being in the business of doing that inoculation and, and, uh, and, and helping move the needle towards those positive outcomes. That's, that's what keeps us going every day and, and why we're just so, so excited and blessed to be on this journey. Yeah, well, it, it we're lucky that you and and others out there are, are taking this up and are passionate about this because it is a a difficult topic for a lot of folks that have other passions and a lot of uh, other uh, primary concerns that these you know you can provide the service to give them that peace of mind uh, that they need. Um, so before we go, I want to ask you if can we even though today's challenges are pretty big to begin with. Can we look around the corner? What? Where does this all go? Where does this head? Do you see anything? Is is it just is APIs where we're at? Are there other kinds of things that you envision on the horizon, or, or where do we go from here? What what should we start thinking about in terms of what we might see in in upcoming years and in, in this space? Wow, that's such a <laughs> such an expansive question. I think I think what I would what I would say is. I think we're going to see humans being more in the passenger seat than in the driver's seat in, in more than just our self-driving cars, right? But in terms of how we're managing our businesses, managing our finances, managing our people, um, managing all the assets that we have around us, um, you know, the, the human operator is, is going to pull more and more back to the role of, of observer and, and auditor and philosopher and ethicist is this the right outcome is this what we wanted to happen um that's that that's always going to be the things that the machines aren't going to be able to understand right but but i think apis it's just it's just one stepping stone towards humans being more in the, in the passenger seat and and for us to have more more help and more different kinds of, of assistance to that you know, without without APIs, what's what's your AI supposed to do? I mean, what what are those AIs supposed to do? 
talk to each other. I mean, it's, you know, um, that's, that's going to be how, how those autonomous systems interact with systems in the physical world. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really excited about, about all the possibilities there. Um, and I, and I think, you know, for as much as there, there can be doom and gloom around cybersecurity, um, at, at times and, and there are real, <laughs> there are real things at stake there. Um, as I said before, I think I think in the long term, the, these things will will end up being will end up being positive, and we'll have the right kinds of immune systems that help help defend against these kinds of things. Um, but I'm I'm excited about you know what our what our new software overlords will, will help us do, and uh, and and better help us manage the planet. Yeah, well, I I think it's. You know, the first step is to realizing that, hey, this stuff is there. It's being addressed. People are, you know, building some key software and, and service organizations to help those of us that are less equipped to deal with them ourselves to, to deal with them. And there is, you know, hope and, and help on the horizon, you know, and that's where I think that, you know, what you're doing with your organization and, and how we as business leaders and data leaders out there um, you know, can connect into it and capitalize on the good work of, of others. I mean, I think this is, you know, one of many places where there's now offerings that we can tap into in a reasonable way. Whereas 10 years ago, this could be a much more difficult scenario uh, to, to consider. So I think that, you know, what you're doing and how you've uh, entered the space and, and the, the services that you're offering are, are tremendously helpful and give us hope. I mean, I can tell the hope in, in your voice and, and how you think about these things. Um, and that I think uh, is something that we can all latch on to and, and feel a little bit more confident that, hey, this is a battle that we can win and that our businesses can be protected. And it's, and it's, it's democratizing. Um, I think in a really positive way, it, it, it has the opportunity to kind of level the playing field a bit. I mean, if you think about, you know, if I wanted to, I'll just pick someone out of the hat, but like, if I wanted to work with Wells Fargo as an outside agency 10 years ago, I probably would have had to sign up for some partner program. I would have to have my, all kinds of checks and all kinds of things, like to get access to their systems, Mm -hmm. right? That was a heavily gated, very expensive process. And, and consequently, only available to a relatively small number of people. But as soon as someone like Wells Fargo has a public API, well, as a mom and pop shop, I can call that. You know, my, anyone, anyone can use it. Um, I think just, just that on its own is, is pretty amazing in terms of, of really taking this technology and using it everywhere that it can be applied. Um, that's, that's, that's the kind of future that I'm, I'm super excited about. Yeah, I think I think you're right on and and I'm excited about that as well. So we are all out of time. So Rob, thank you so much for for being on the show today and and sharing your wisdom with all of us. Thanks for having me. Great great conversation. And thank you all for joining us today. As always, you'll find more information about our guests and links in the show notes. Go to dataleadershiplessons.com to subscribe and check out past episodes and accelerate your journey with training at dataleadershiptraining.com. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact. 